0: Do faculty and staff recognize who they are in terms of the big eight for diversity? And then do you truly know your students?
1: This episode was originally released under the podcast titled Teaching and Learning Theory Versus Practice. This rebooted episode has been migrated to Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia, Director of Educator Preparation. And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity
2: Officer. Our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity,
1: equity, and inclusion, along with solutions for us to grow as educators. So join us on our journey to become better teachers and leaders. So let's get into it. Hi, Dr. Amy. Hello, Dr. Joy.
2: Hey I mean I'm looking forward to today's conversation because this is right up my alley. So there's now that I'm in this new position of chief diversity officer, you know, DEI is my life, not that it wasn't before, and in your position I know that you're still working through a lot of diversity and equity and inclusion challenges and opportunities. And that's where I started doing a lot of the DEI work when I was the director of educator preparation. So And and it's something, we talk about this all the time, that no matter what topic we're talking about, we're always talking about a a DEI topic in the end. And so today, we're actually going to talk about a real DEI topic, which is belonging. I have this little tagline on everything that I write, you know, diversity is a fact, right? We are who we are. Equity is a choice. And we grapple with that all the time. When we see how things are, why are they the way they are? Is this by design? Inclusion is an action. And then what we're going to talk about today is belonging is an outcome.
1: You know, whenever we start thinking about or talking about belonging, kind of takes me back to school days. Really, how much do we think we belong in any given space? People who, you know, adults now who just are so self-assured, they're so confident, they look like they belong in any space they, that they enter. But I question that. So when we're thinking about a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, did that person always feel comfortable and confident? Was there some awkwardness in the very beginning? I'm sure there was. Belonging is so much more. And I I really want to unpack this concept of belonging as moving further and beyond fitting in with Dr. Don Brown. So, Dr. Brown is an assistant professor in the Governor's State University Department of Physical Therapy with over 23 years of clinical and educational experience. She completed a Bachelor of Psychology degree and Master of Physical Therapy degree from Northwestern University, a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from Alabama State University, and a doctor of education degree in higher education administration from Northern Illinois University. She earned an American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties board certification in orthopedic physical therapy and uses this content expertise in her pedagogy and clinical experience in clinical practice. Her research agenda explores leadership, motivation, and belonging in physical therapy education and clinical practice. All through the lens, as we were discussing earlier, Dr. Joy, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Brown is an active member and leader within the American Physical Therapy Association, Illinois Physical Therapy Association, American Council of Academic Physical Therapy, American Academy of Physical Therapy, and National Association of Black Physical Therapists. Welcome, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Welcome, Dr. Brown. You know, we have to, I got a little disclaimer here. We have to stop putting out our years of experience because we have like about 75 years between us, but then that that doesn't sound good when you really think about it because you don't look a day over 30. So we're going to just scale that back. You know, I just can't imagine you having 23 years of experience, but your work shows that you do, you have accomplished a lot. And I really love that you have brought what you've done in the clinical practice into this educational space. It makes it so meaningful for students to receive that information. So let's let's get to you. So, and, and, and I really wanna to talk to belonging. Dr. Amy and I were having these little conversations about belonging. I talked to my son actually recently about belonging and I don't even know if I wanna share what he said. <laughs> Hear it. <laughs> he was like, just go to work and do your job. And I was like, uh, it's not quite that easy because I spend more time on my job than I do at home. So it's important to me emotionally. It's important to my psyche that I feel like I belong. And whenever I'm in a position where I don't feel like I belong, or that I don't feel included, it sticks with me. It haunts me and it can haunt me for a very, very, very long time. And and just think there's people who are at all different kinds of levels. So if it affects me that way, it may affect someone even greater. And I may be talking about an incident, not a frequent occurrence, right? and so for the times that i felt like i didn't belong i would say for the most part they've been incidents and not something that's been repetitive mm-hmm. so i'm going to disagree with my a person at type a personality son and that it does matter greatly and then it's you know it's it's not okay to say get in there and just do your work do your job and go home uh, so but i want to talk about beyond your bio, what Dr. Amy just read, what can you share about your experiences that bring the passion to this topic of belonging?
0: Yes, I think it, beyond my bio, I look at, you know, first looking at what really drove, drove me into this is being a black physical therapist in a profession that is dominated by white females and not seeing myself reflected in the clinic or even in education. But then I took a moment to reflect and say, well, when did this really begin? And it began in my formative years when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school where I was usually the only, meaning the only black person in spaces where the majority of my classmates and teachers were white, also being the only when it came to my socioeconomic upbringing you know being the person who had a lower socioeconomic status in a space where the majority of my classmates given where I lived at the time had a higher socioeconomic status and i felt that even though i belonged intellectually academically socially I didn't belong. Back then, I didn't really equate that term, of course, being younger, that belonging or lack thereof is what I was experiencing. And so now that I'm immersed in this work and I reflect upon that, that's what I was experiencing. But I think it began then. And then when I came to Illinois and I went to to my bachelor's level program and then my master's level program, I still felt the same way because in those institutions, predominantly white institutions, I still felt that because of my race and because of my socioeconomic background and upbringing, that I still didn't belong socially academically, yes, because I was always that 4.0 student or 4.0 plus student. I could, I belonged in that realm, but there was still something missing. However, the difference is now as an adult is that I could try to create my own belonging and call attention to it. And then fast forward to present day, being in spaces where I am that physical therapist, I am an educator. And this is my, you know, I want to say my passion, my life's work, if you will, to, Make sure that I have a sense of belonging, but not only myself, but other students and faculty and clinicians can create their own belonging and have that belongingness created for them.
1: I love this. And I want to unpack this more. Joy and I were talking a few minutes ago about conversations we've had with our families about belonging. Mm -hmm. But it's more than just fitting in, because that's the conversation I had with with my teenager and about confidence, self-confidence and not feeling awkward, but it's more than that. It is definitely moves beyond just fitting in and being like part of the crowd. How would you define belonging? Help us understand that difference.
0: Yeah, and that, and that phrase that you use, fitting in, I think I cringe when I hear that phrase, especially when I'm part of interview processes or admissions processes for students or for faculty, and people say, Well, how do you fit? How will you fit in here? And when I think about belonging, it's not about fitting in because it's about bringing your own authentic self to the table and getting people to appreciate what makes you you. And so when I think about belonging and I think about some of the, the key psychological needs that we have, meaning, autonomy, that need to have control over what we do, our circumstances, meaning your competence, having that ability to master content and then having belonging and being able to relate with other people and be with other people. Belonging is a feeling. It is something that you want to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm in this space. I'm bringing my true authentic self to this space that I feel connected. I feel respected. I feel seen. And I'm not just trying to fit in and be like somebody else. And so when I think about belonging and I put it in the the same perspective of diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging is that outcome. People know that diversity is about demographics to a certain extent, who's in the room. People know that equity is about how do you allocate resources so that people have the ability to achieve and be successful, and then we think about inclusion as the behavior, meaning who's at that table. Belonging is the ultimate outcome of all of the DEI initiatives and efforts, meaning how can you truly show up and be your own authentic self, not have to code switch, not have to assimilate, not have to pretend to be something that you're not. I can relate to
2: what you're saying. I have a science background also. So I have my undergraduate and graduate degree in science. So I've worked and you know, went to school in those same spaces, those STEM fields where the BIPOC population is extremely small and hard to fit in. I want to talk about two things, a couple of things. So let's discuss how you achieve belonging in a general sense, because one of the things you said is that you have to create a sense of belonging for yourself. How do you achieve that, especially when you're the minority of whatever group you're part of, and kind of expand that, like, to our academic workplace, if you will?
0: Yeah, and it, and it's I appreciate that question. It's challenging, depending on who that person is. I can think about students or faculty or staff, and to achieve that belonging, you have to have innately a sense of confidence to a certain extent. Or having someone who you can view as an ally or an accomplice that can actually help you. Some people have the the natural-born talent or ability to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to create the space for myself. I am going to take the initiative. I'm a go-getter. I have this thought process of what's the worst that could happen if I advocate for myself? And other people need someone else to help them move along, especially when they're in places and spaces where they are the only, where they are historically marginalized or put to the side. And so to really be able to create it, it takes that individual to recognize, you know, what's different here? Why is it that I feel this way? Who can I talk to, to help me, like you all use the word unpack, to unpack my feelings and my emotions associated with being perhaps the only, or associated with being a person that no one looks to for advice or to bring bring in as part of the group. And then when it comes to the people that should help a person achieve a sense of belonging, Do they truly know what that means? And I think about academic spaces and I look at faculty that are here to support students. When I think about staff who are here also to support students, do people truly know what belonging means in order for them to be able to create spaces where students and other faculty and other staff feel like they belong? And so the first thing is having an awareness of what does that word mean, especially in the context of diversity, equity, and inclusion because everyone tends to gravitate toward those three buzzwords.
1: OK, so I want to keep pushing on this because as a faculty member and and I'm in other spaces, too, I'm I'm really there's some tension here. So if belonging is bringing one's authentic self, how do we we meaning uh, staff, faculty, whatever role we have at the university is it is an important role. So whatever that role is, how do we create the conditions that set up the environment to allow someone to bring their authentic self? What is, let's 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 push on that some more.
0: And I think that and, and for faculty, when you say create that condition, when I think of myself as an educator, a faculty member and other people, one of the first steps is to, A, recognize who you are and what are your identities? Because a lot of belonging is centered around Do people recognize like the big eight, if you will, when it comes to diversity as far as race, ethnicity, gender, sex, age, disability, socioeconomic status and the like? And do faculty and staff recognize who they are in terms of the big eight for diversity? And then do you truly know your students? Because sometimes faculty are teaching students, but they don't really know them they don't even know their names. And so how can you teach students and try to create that sense of belonging when you don't really know who's in your classroom? And so before you deliver that content on day one, why not take a moment to step back and say, Hey, everyone, you know, I'm your instructor. Here's who I am. Make yourself vulnerable and courageous to share a little bit about yourself and then do the same for your students and say, Hey, tell me about yourself. Let's get, let people get to know who you are and appreciate you, who you are. And then be able to use that, those sociocultural ba- backgrounds and those identities, weave that into your curriculum. And so center diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging into your curriculum. So that way students are saying, hey, my professor got to know me, they know my name, they know a little bit about me. And then as I sit back for the next 15 weeks or so in a given semester, and I'm engaged with this course content, I actually see how the content is representative of me. I see where Dei and, and B are are threaded through the curriculum. I see the images, I see the references. I see you know the faculty member asking my opinions about certain things. And so I think that's a great start that has to be you know initiated at the very beginning and threaded through the rest of the semester and even in the academic year.
2: I, I want to ask you something dip, difficult here. I want to create a scenario for you. And I see this quite often and how we make students and our colleagues feel like they belong. When you have a situation where a faculty invites students in their classroom, in their office, let's work on this project after class, Mm -hmm. and you were never asked. Mm -hmm. And so technically the faculty didn't do anything to you, Mm -hmm. right? They just didn't include you. Mm -hmm. And so what's at stake? So so it's not always what you do, right? Sometimes it's what you don't do and what you avoid. And sometimes that avoidance is because you're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with maybe that gender Mm -hmm. or that gender preference or that ethnicity or that behavior you know so what's at stake let's talk about what's at stake what is the impact when faculty do not intentionally you know because we can do all these things wonderful things in the classroom right when they're not intentional about creating an environment of belonging so like in that circumstance where you weren't invited right Yeah, so what's at
0: stake when that
2: happens?
0: And the the key thing that's at stake is students' academic and educational success. That's at stake. And I know that faculty, you know, unconsciously or unintentionally may, you know, ask certain groups of students to meet them after hours in their office to work on projects and they've excluded students, whether they're doing it explicitly or implicitly, it's there. Then I take a step back and say, okay, well then how can we mitigate that further to make sure that academic success isn't being compromised, what's the responsibility of not just that faculty member, but let me, let's me let zone out for a second. That faculty is a member of a department. And so what kind of culture did that department have or, or, or implement when it came time to educate faculty and develop faculty with regards to what belongingness is and how to thread that through your courses and your curriculum and with your engagement with, this, with students and then zone out even further, what about the college? So what have they done when we have faculty development to make sure that faculty and your, your directors, your chairs, et cetera, understand truly what belongingness is, what diversity, equity, and inclusion are, and how that's imperative for students' success, and then zoning out even further from university-wide. Okay, so what are some of the initiatives that university is doing that's responsible for the faculty who are in turn responsible for the students so that they can mitigate some of those implicit biases or unintentional actions where they've left students behind? But then also saying, how about on the student level? We do these development programs for faculty and for staff But do we do them for students to allow them to advocate for themselves so when they see a faculty member excluding them, whether it's intentional or unintentional, they can advocate for themselves and speak up and say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, you know, I recognize that you allowed this team of students to go to your office hours to be able to work on projects, but you didn't include me. Why? Why? And so we have to work to also empower students to advocate and speak up for themselves to help achieve their sense of belonging as well. And so the impact is they're, they're being able to allow them to thrive, to, to find and facilitate that sense of purpose, to create space, not only to be authentic, but to say, hey, I have a space where I truly feel like I belong because my faculty member, my professor recognizes this, but I can also stand up and say, hey, you know, what about me?
1: Let's talk about the students for a minute. Um, So to what extent do students feel they belong? In what areas can we actually measure belonging? How do we do this?
0: I think there's many areas to measure belonging. I know that some people think, because I said earlier that, you know, belonging is more of a feeling and people are like, well, it's a feeling. How do you quantify that? Well, you can quantify it. You can qualify it, but I think from a research perspective and to get you know from a qualitative perspective saying you know how do you feel let's talk about this let's do focus groups let's do climate surveys etc and using that information to quantify it as well to say, hey, who feels like they belong? So not only looking at belongingness from a deficit perspective, but who feels like they belong? And then who feels like like they don't belong? And then that key question is why? Why do you feel like you belong? Why do you feel like you don't belong? In what instances? Is it academic? Is it social? And then let's use that data to be able to determine what are our next steps. I think oftentimes you know for us to be able to measure it we have to be able to do that information gathering. Let's sit back first and say why do we need to measure? It? Is it a, is it a thing? Is it an issue if you will? And then who's involved with measuring it? And then once we measure it and we determine yes there's belonging here, but over there there's not belonging, then what are we doing with that data that we create that we collected to create initiatives, sustainable initiatives to ensure that students and faculty and staff can belong and not only survive, but thrive within academic spaces.
2: So, you know, we're working on professional development, and you can do a lot of DEI, wonderful professional development. But then there's the heart matter, right? right. There is the heart matter. We're working to create culturally relevant thinking and leading classrooms. We're implementing CRTL standards so that they have the knowledge. And I think that's important. I think that's a really important part to have first the knowledge because you don't know what you don't know. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then that disposition. So this is a little harder because now I have to have the disposition. Mm -hmm. I have to have the desire Mm -hmm. to want to change, to want to do better, to want to include, to want to expand out of my comfort level before I can put any actions in place. So, so what do we do? And, and we're not even, and I'm not even necessarily talking about the ones that are resistant (laughs) because you have some that are just completely closed minded and resistant, but even if you're open, So what do we do? You know, what does that look like when we're trying to change the dispositions, when we're trying to change the hearts and minds, which need to change before any action can take place?
0: Right. And that and that goes back to I know I've discussed with you and and many people before about how I look at, you know, awareness comes first to understand, you know, what the topic is if there's an issue to understand that issue and then after that comes attitudes and like you said how do you get at the heart how do you how do you see and determine if people's attitudes towards belonging have changed for the better or if they they had attitudes toward belonging that they question why it's necessary that they have a more positive outlook and a more positive opinion about what belonging truly means how it impacts the the key invested parties in higher education, your students, your faculty, your staff, and then you start leaning toward action. And one thing when you're in that that attitude space, if you will, after you you gain some awareness is to say, how does this resonate with you? Because on some end, you would think that Once you talk about belonging in the context as well as DEI, because you can't just have it by itself, that it's going to resonate somehow in whole or in part with the people who are invested in this, with the people that are at the table discussing this. And so if you understand how it resonates with you and then you explicitly ask them, you know, what is your attitude about this now? You know, be transparent mm-hmm. and be specific. Hey, how do you feel about this? Oftentimes when we get to topics like this, and I, I don't like using the word sensitive topics when we talk about DEIB, but mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. shy away from it to say, "Oh, you know, I don't want to really get into my feelings with it." Why not take a deeper dive into it and say, "Hey, how does it resonate with you? What is your attitude about it?" And be transparent. If you have a if you have a negative attitude, let us know. If you have a positive attitude, let us know, and let's figure out how we can use this to move p- toward action. And then move toward accountability after that.
2: Right. I think we're in such a politically correct environment that it's hard for people to share their trueness. Mm -hmm. And because what are the repercussions if Mm -hmm. we're in a safe space, right? And we say we're in a safe space and we could talk about these hard topics. Mm -hmm. And then I tell you something, Mm -hmm. you know, that may offend someone else. And then how am I looked upon? So even though we try to create these environments to say you're in a safe space, you can say what you want to say, there's still some parameters around that, right? And trying to help that person grow. I, I did want to make a statement before I talk about something else. I talked to my daughter yesterday. By the way, she's a teacher. She's been teaching for a long time now. And she also does baking on the side. For extra money and her husband's a cop and he works another job too. So, you know, they have this family and they have to have all these jobs to make ends meet. That's no fun. But, you know, I was like, hey, you know, you can work in this school district, blah, 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 blah. It's only five minutes more longer than your school district and you can earn $20,000 making more. And I was like, like, it's not rocket science and things that just sounds like something you should do. And you know what she says? Well, what about the teachers that I work with? What about my group? What about my team? Mm-hmm. I was like, is that team so important to you <laughs> <laughs> where you can't earn an extra $20,000 right. a year? And she was like, kind of. Mm-hmm. That's what belonging feels like. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we really build retention, right? You know, retention in the classroom, right. retention in the workplace is having that feeling where I want to be here. It may not be perfect, but it's my imperfection, right? You know, and I I own this. So when she told me that, I was like, oh, that's really what belonging feels like, but, uh, how about we, what about the money? Can, can we make some friends at the at the other place? <laughs> like, this is, like, so you can see she and my daughter, my son, they're just complete uh-huh. opposites in everything they do. But I do have a real question here. I want to go back to the climate survey. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. And actually, Governor State University, we just launched a diversity climate survey, really important. And we only do this every few years because, you know, like you say, we have to want to know first, right? right? So we have to want to know, we have to assess right, and see how we're feeling, see how our faculty, our staff, our administrators, and most importantly, our students are feeling, And then the plan is to share that information, right? To analyze it and then share it. We'll we'll dissect it, we'll share it. And then, and this question is for you too, Dr. Amy. So what do you do with the results of that information when we dissect it and we talk about it and you see in black and white, you know, for example, that, faculty need mentoring students need mentoring you know your students in the belonging category is low you know what do you do with that information and this is for both of you
0: right i i think with that information then it's about prioritizing what you need to resolve if you are what you need to solve so you have that data like you said you you hopefully are being transparent with that data. So all the key invested parties, whether it be administrators, you know, department leaders, the faculty, the staff, and the students, that you let them know the results of this, that you're not holding it back. And then you go back to the beginning and say, well, why did we do this climate survey in the first place? And so if you did it in the first place so that you can create that sense of belonging among all these key invested parties, then you start saying, well, how do I use this data to create initiatives that are, and I always use the word sustainable, because you want these efforts to be sustainable. So how can I create standards, if you will, whether it be university wide standards, whether it be standards that are from a college perspective or level, whether it's from a department level, how do I create some guidelines for faculty members and for staff and for students, if you will, um, to help implement or center diversity, equity, inclusion, and belongingness in their curriculum, You know, even going higher up the level, what are some best practices that the institution as a whole needs to look at when it comes to belonging, as well as DEI? What are some best practices that we need to really implement and really make sure that all of the leaders, the administrators within each of these departments and at the colleges understand, and then even further from there saying, policies. That's at the upper echelon to say, okay, if we really want to create certain initiatives from an institution-wide level, then you may have to put in policies that say, hey, ask faculty members, hopefully your attitude's in the right place, and you understand why we have to have you do certain things with regards to your curriculum, for instance, to center diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging into your curriculum, regardless of whether you teach a science course, you teach a music course, there's room to put that in there to make sure that these things are sustainable.
1: I want to even back up further. I think we really need to hold space for people to process. Mm -hmm. And people need to have open minds. And there is no denying hard data. Right. When results come back and there's this clear indication that work needs to be done. Or on the other side of that, that we're doing good things, you know, let's sustain those good things, but also address what's what the problems are. So keeping that open mind, don't go into denial. Right. Don't say, well, there was a global pandemic. I mean, yes, we all realize that everyone has uh some uh, we've had obstacles, we've had some barriers. But there have also been great strides in developing a sense of and creating a sense of belonging, no matter where you are, whether it's online or uh, on campus. So, no excuses. Taking the data as they are, all of the pieces, not just some of the pieces, and identify the good. Is that is kind of nice to recognize that there is good and make sure it's sustained. But yeah, I think that just knowing the why, I know anytime, and when I even first started teaching, we would be asked to do something. There's it was a new initiative or a new policy. There was always so much resistance when we did not know the why. But you could just really see, I mean visibly see almost a, a physical difference in people when you explained the why. Mm-hmm. and it was this oh of of course that's why we're doing mm-hmm. this action or taking these steps and everyone would be on board, most everyone. Mm-hmm. And so knowing the why, doing the climate survey, knowing the why, looking at things straight, you know, right, what is right in front of us, I think it's all important, you know, in having these conversations as well
0: and I appreciate what you said with the why, because I look at my research is also grounded in motivation. And when you talk about intrinsic motivation or internal motivation and extrinsic motivation, it starts with that. Why, when you can explain to people the why and allow them to process, like you said, the why, then they become motivated and hopefully first or more so intrinsically motivated, internally motivated to say, Hey, this is needed. And this is why I need to do this. And then of course you might have to dangle some carrots in front of them to say, also, you know, if you do this, this will also happen with, regards to extrinsic rewards, et cetera, but the why is important to mobilize and motivate people, faculty, staff, administrators, et cetera, to really take this to heart, the belongingness initiatives to heart, and really want to put it into action. Mm -hmm.
2: If you ask my daughter, she would say it's a $25 gift card. So she is extrinsically (laughs) motivated by money. And I mean, which is not a lot of money, but when her principal comes and to do classroom observations. If you get a certain score, you get a $25 gift card. So she welcomes it every time, come to my classroom anytime because I need $25. But it also says, I see you. I recognize that you're doing a good job because I mean, the $25 is not a lot, but it goes a long Uh way and I feel appreciated. I feel like you saw me and I feel appreciated. So there's things that you can do so what are, what are signs? I want to talk about, I want to help some, some faculty out here and some staff <laughs> out here. What are some signs that students and sometimes even educators, it's not just our students. We lose faculty too. So it's not about just student retention. It's also about employee retention too. Mm-hmm. So what are some signs that we can look for when students or the educators feel like they don't belong? And the opposite of that, what do we see as, as signs when they do feel like they belong? So first, what, what are the signs that will tell us, okay, there's a problem. The students don't feel like they belong or this student doesn't feel like they belong. This faculty member doesn't feel like they belong. What are what do those signs look like?
0: And I think the the signs are pretty much similar when you think about students, you know, what are the signs when they don't belong? When you think about faculty and staff, what are the signs that do they exhibit when they don't belong? I think there's, there's overlap. And one of the main things is lack of engagement. And so if I'm looking at my students in the classroom and they're no longer participating when they did before or... If they never participate, they're still in the corner. They sit in the back of the classroom and they're not raising their hands. They're not really speaking out when I had them doing active learning or team-based learning. They're not speaking up in a group, so they don't engage. And the same thing goes for faculty, where there's a lack of engagement, where there might have been more engagement before. And so you see this withdrawal from taking initiative to do things, from volunteering to do certain things, from the student perspective, as well as from the faculty perspective, and you start... Thinking, you know, is it because they feel like they don't belong, or is there something going else going on? And I, I kind of relate this to um, another topic that I talk about when I talk about quiet quitting, and that occurs for faculty members, it occurs for staff, and it can occur for students where they're in the classroom, they're present physically, but mentally they're not really present. They've checked out because they feel like they don't belong, they feel like, what's the point? As long as I keep my head down and I complete my assignments on time, I do well on my exams and my quizzes, and I get the grade to move on to the next course in the next semester, and then the semester leads into graduation, then I'm fine with it. I don't don't need to do anything else because what's the point? My professors don't see me. My classmates don't see me. I'm still gonna get this degree because eventually somewhere when I'm done, hopefully someone outside external to the university, they see me. And so, or on the complete opposite, instead of withdrawing, you might have people who don't feel like they belong, whether they're students or faculty, they actually go the opposite extreme, that they're more loud and more boisterous because they're trying to create this belonging. They're trying to draw attention to themselves so people see them for who they are and that may or may not work for them, but that's the opposite extreme where they're like, hey, I'm here, you're gonna make, you're gonna know my presence is here and I'm gonna put myself in this space. This team over here doesn't want me. Well, I'm gonna go over there and say, hey, I'm your new team member. <laughs> so you have to welcome me and you have to 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 have me as one of your teammates. I know it's it's really
2: it's really funny that you talk about that and students withdrawing. and Amy's heard this before. my husband, when he was before he was retired, he was at a school where it was 100% percent free reduced lunch. So it was a Title Mm -hmm. I school. And on Fridays, he would cut hair. So he would take about a dozen boys' hair, cut hair. And then he would bring their shirts home, uniform, white shirts. And then I would wash them because they would wear those shirts all week. And then it makes such a difference because when you don't feel good about yourself and people are treating you certain ways and not including you, then it impacts your ability to learn because you're not going to raise your hand you're not going to say i know the answer even if you know the answer you're not going to put yourself out there when you feel like you don't belong so there's a lot i mean i just think educators have so much work to do right in making people feel like they belong because readiness to learn is directly tied to belonging or belonging is directly tied to readiness, however you want to say it. And students withdrawing can't learn. Exactly. You know, they're not going to show up in your office, right? They're not going to ask you any questions. You know, coming to school is just a means to an end. Right. And they may be super intelligent and maybe they can get through a lot of things. But that readiness to learn and to engage is not there unless we can make them feel like they belong. And which is why I say sometimes it just feels intentional. Right. right? Is that if we know this as educators, then why don't we employ that? Exactly. And I guess I can say the same for administration, too, about employees, you know, faculty and staff, Mm -hmm. you know, if we know that this is how you make people feel included and make people feel like they belong. Why aren't these
1: practices and processes in place?
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: I think that leads to some assumptions though. Right. I think that, I mean, we're talking often in on this podcast about K-12 educators Uh and students. So when we say students, sometimes we, automatically start thinking about the younger students and of course creating that environment where they belong and like everyone gets along together. But also, we are talking about the older student. We're talking about university students as well, but I think I think there are some assumptions that people make about belonging of mm-hmm. uh, what might some assumptions be in your experience?
0: Right. And I I appreciate you saying that because when we think about belonging, you know, we should be thinking about it from elementary, middle school and high school level. But now that we're in post-secondary higher education, we assume that because when you enter college, for the most part, you're about 18 and usually 18 is the threshold or the cutoff for being an adult. And in some spaces, it's 21. And people say, well, hey, you're an adult now. So you need to create your own belonging. And once you're in this Academic institution, it's not the responsibility per se of the institution or the faculty to help you achieve that. You're an adult; figure it out yourself. You've 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 come to this part. You're more independent now, so it is your responsibility. And I think that when you have this assumption that you know younger adults and even older adults that are in spaces you know within colleges and universities that they can create their own belonging, then you're missing the point. Because our role as educators, as leaders, as administrators is to help them center and find their sense of belonging. I think also the assumption is that certain social cultural groups, and when I talk about the big eight, if you will, the gender, age, race, ethnicity, et cetera, that people have assumptions that certain social cultural groups have a better sense of belonging than other groups do. And so certain groups now will be treated less equitably or or not focused on when it comes to belonging because of who they are. You know, everyone has an element of power and privilege, but some people might say, well, because of your gender and because of your age and your ethnicity, you know, you don't need this belonging. For instance, if you're a white male, for instance, some people might say, well, you should have belonging because you've had certain privileges historically, certain privileges and, and power afforded to you. So let's not focus on you. And you, if you're a black female, for instance, historically, hmm, you've probably not had these been in spaces where you felt like you belong or you've been marginalized. So maybe we need to focus on you more for belonging. And so we need to challenge those assumptions and get the facts. So just because something has historically been done doesn't mean right now in present day that we should transfer or generalize those assumptions for our students based upon their age, again, their gender, their, their race, their ethnicity, their disability, and so on and so forth.
1: You make such great points. I'm just like scribbling furiously <laughs> all of these notes and these strategies you've shared with us and just some some ideas to really take, you know, to mm-hmm. kind of internalize and really take home I'm wondering if you could also, so that we can include in our show notes, some resources that you can draw our audience to uh, for more information, for a little bedside reading, or to anything that you would recommend.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, you know, for there's tons of resources for bedside reading. I know that, you know, I'm in a, a clinical space where I do a lot of my belongingness research from a clinical space. But, you know, there's I would say for people to, you know, not necessarily to say that you have to focus on one specific book or one specific research article, if you will, but taking time to say, okay, you know, let me review some of these climate surveys that are out there, not necessarily to say let's implement them, but see what they contain and some of that information in these climate surveys. Is you can use and implement it into your classroom. You can use and implement within your your department, within your college, within the university. I know that um, with Governor State's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council, that they're reading um, a belongingness book by uh, Terrell Strayhorn, and that book you know centers belonging and allows you to really look at belonging from the lens of academic, social, and and university, and how faculty can prioritize and really look at strategies and initiatives to use belonging to make, you know, to allow their students to achieve academic success. And I know that, you know, in my research, I look at, um, you know, I, I research a lot of belongingness theory. So looking at some of these theories from way back in the, in the 90s, I know one that stands out to me as Bob and Leary in 1995, their belongingness theory, like looking at some of the older literature to look at how belongingness came to be, even though fast forward to present day, belongingness is in a different context, so to speak, but looking mm-hmm. at you know just some background research about what belongingness truly is. I think that's a place where people really need to start to really understand the foundations, if you will, of belonging, and then be able to move out of that space to look at more robust measures of belonging and how they can really internalize it, understand it, and then move beyond that and apply it in their academic spaces?
2: I, I think we are ready to write a whole book of, of lists. These are things that you can do to make people feel like they belong. And sometimes people need that. What are some What are some strategies that I can employ? One of the things that I would do right away a first day of class, I would tell students, bring a me bag. If you don't have a me bag, pick five things on your person. Because the five things that you carry with you Are significant to you. Mm -hmm. If you come to class and you got five things, then they have meaning to you. I say, pick those five things and tell us why you have those things. You know, why are are these things significant? And, you know, I've been asking that question for a long time. This new generation, everybody has their phone. (laughs) So everybody wants their phone to be (laughs) one of their five because it has value to them for a lot of different reasons. And some of that is just for connection. Who's on the other side of that phone? You know, the other thing in meetings, you know, where we have meetings and people are doing reports. I mean, the simple thing of rotating names every time Mm -hmm. is great because what do you do if you're always the last one? You know, people are tired of listening. You've run out of time and you get short change, you know, just switching it up switching, you know, seating arrangements, you know, just doing things to acknowledge people equally in that space. So I think we'll be waiting for Dr. Dog Brown book. (laughs) I know you're doing a lot of research, you have articles, and you're doing a lot of presentation, but we're looking forward to that book
0: on belonging. Write it down. (laughs) I've spoken into existence. That's right. And just real quick, I like what you said about like during meetings, like what I do in my in the classrooms I teach is that before I even start my content, I say any questions and celebrations because mm-hmm. I go back to questions from the previous lectures that I've had, but what are we celebrating? And I think just, I don't want to say little things because they're not just little things, but just right. celebrating people and saying, you know, who has a birthday today? And, and when someone has a birthday, it happened yesterday. I'm like, hey, everyone, let's sing you know, who has something that they're celebrating, let's applaud them. Um, So that way people not only feel seen, but they feel like they belong because they see that they're being valued and appreciated in the classroom. Yeah,
2: I think my best belonging strategy, uh, my memory is not as great as it was then, but I would print all the faces of my students. This is college of course, and I would print all of their faces because I can, you know, they had to take ID pictures. And I would know their names before mm-hmm. class. And they were always amazed. Mm-hmm. Like Exactly. As, you know, call Amy. Can you tell me? They're like, mm-hmm. how, how does she know me? Does she know? You know? And yes. they're always amazed and feel like, oh, she knows me. We must yes. engage with each other once before. And it makes all the difference in the it world and how Amy is going to react to me calling her name instead of, hey, you, can you (laughs) say Amy? Now, sometimes people don't look like their photo. And that's, I have to wait it's for nice. their friends. I have to wait for one of their friends to say their names. Like, oh, okay, this is her.
0: <laughs> Especially as the years progress. And then you see like we have cohorts in physical therapy. So then the next year they look different. But like you said, learning their names is key, but then it also is. something about them. Like when they happen to tell you something before, and you're like, hey, you know, you told me that your, your uh, grandmother was sick. How is she doing? So remembering something about your students that you can bring up the next time. And I think- you know, me being a physical therapist, I do that with my patients. And when they come back in, I'm not just saying, hey, let me go ahead and treat that body part. But hey, you told me that your your daughter got married. How was that celebration? I so know. Remembering that- something goes a long way. It does. That's and belonging. You have to remember to do that equally. Yes. Across the board yes.
2: And not just with a few. But this, yes. is, this has been amazing. This is a great conversation. As you can see, we could talk about this <laughs> all day. And and it is something that we should continue to talk about. I think the more we talk about it, people will see themselves. Right. Right. And they will begin to grow. You know, that is the goal.
1: Yes, this has been a great conversation. I so appreciate you being here with us today. And I know that we will need to have another conversation.
2: <laughs> yes, Dr.
1: Don Brown. We have many
2: DEI conversations to have in the future. So we're looking forward to you coming back on the podcast.
0: Yes, I, I appreciate you all. and I, I welcome an opportunity to continue the conversation.
1: Thank you for listening to Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. Visit our website at govst.edu slash teaching and leading podcast to see the show notes from this episode. We appreciate
2: Governor State University's work behind the scenes to make publishing possible. Stay tuned for more episodes with Dr. Amy
0: and Dr. Joy.